The following sermon is by Stephen Tillis, pastor of Emanuel Baptist Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. Please visit us at 2100 Noble Road in Raleigh or on the web at ebcraleigh.com. And now, here's Pastor Steve. All right, let's take our Bibles this morning and turn to the New Testament book of 1 Thessalonians chapter number 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter number 2, and we will uh, continue our study through this book together. And today we want to cover just the first eight verses, 1 Thessalonians 2. And uh, as we begin our study, we notice that chapter number 1 really speaks about a model for uh, the Christian church. Uh, what we should be like and how we should serve, how we should give the gospel and uh, live in faith and hope and love, be the kind of people, the kind of church that the Lord desires for us to be. Well, First Thessalonians chapter 2 in the uh, church in between, between the first coming and the second coming of the Lord, not only do we see how our church should be, but this chapter actually deals with, or at least these first eight verses or so, uh, deal with Christian leadership within the church. So your pastor and teachers and deacons and the, the leadership of the church. And so we want to look today and see about what Christian leaders, uh, how they should be. And so I want to draw your attention. I'm going to read the first eight verses. But before I do, because of the just kind of how large this passage is, let me draw your attention to these two concepts and then we'll look at it together. Look at the end of verse number two. You notice that he'll say here, we had the, uh, the boldness in our God. And then highlight this part, to speak to you the gospel of God. And then of course, amid much opposition. But to highlight that there. So I had the boldness in our God to speak to you the gospel of God. Of God. Do you see that in verse number two? And then down at uh, the end of verse number eight, he says, Having so fond an affection for you, we were well pleased to impart to you or to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives because you have become uh, very dear to us. And I just want to, um, I think the, the sermon for today, I want to wrap around those two concepts as we think about Christian leaders. We want to look at about how Christian leaders should speak the gospel and how Christian leaders should live the gospel. Notice that again, uh, and you might want to just dash this off. Verse 1 through 6 really deals with the speech or the exhortation, the speaking of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ by our Christian leaders. And uh, verse number 7 and 8 deals with the living of the gospel by our Christian leaders. And so maybe you're in here today and say, well, I'm not the pastor of the church. I'm not a deacon. I'm not a teacher. But I would say to you that though God may not have called you to a particular office in the life of the church, that you ought always to be living your life in conformity to the kind of life where you would speak the gospel in an appropriate and a right way, one that would please the Lord, and you ought to be living your life in such a way that reflects the gospel of Jesus Christ. For even the call sign of our church is that we proclaim the gospel and we reflect the kingdom. We simply mean by that that we get the message right. We, we tell people about the true nature of the gospel and that we live the gospel out in our daily life, whether that be in our friendships, at our, our places of business, whether that be in our families, 
business or work or whatever situation it is that we both give the gospel and we live the gospel. So let me read the eight verses and then we'll come back and try and take it apart for a little bit. Verse number one, you follow along. I'll let you remain seated today. Verse number one, for you yourselves know brethren that our coming to you was not in vain, but after we had already suffered and been mistreated in Philippi, as you know, we have the boldness in our God to speak, now there it is again, to speak to you the gospel of God amid much opposition. For our exhortation does not come from error or impurity or by way of deceit, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God who examines our hearts. For we never came with flattering speech, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed, and, and God is our witness concerning this. Nor did we see glory from men, either from you or from others, even though as apostles of Christ, we might have asserted our authority. But we prove to be gentle among you as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children, having so fond an affection for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only, here it is, not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives. It's the word for soul. And we imparted to you our own suke, our, our own soul, the deepest part of ourselves, because we had become, you had become very very dear to us. Let me, uh, let me open us with a word of prayer and then uh, we'll try and make a, a very practical lesson for us today as we look at what the Bible would teach about our Christian leaders and as we, uh, as we take from that and extract from that how we can live this out in our own life as well. So join me for a word of prayer today. Good Father, we thank you for the opportunity to worship today in your house, to have been a part of a Sunday school class where we could share prayer requests and learn the Bible in a rich and deep way with our friends. We thank you for this great time of singing together, of giving, of praying together, uh, such beautiful music, listening to the choir and all of these wonderful songs together to be able to give to the work uh, of the gospel, both near and far. And now, Lord, as we open up your inerrant, infallible, inspired word, we, we believe this is the voice of God. And so we ask that you would add your blessing to the reading of the Word of God and that you would transform us into your image. And we trust that the gospel as it goes forth would change unbelievers into believers and would change uh, believers into fully mature followers of you. And we shall love you and thank you for it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Before I start taking this passage apart, you're going to hear me speak a lot today about this uh, concept of the gospel. And I want to just take a moment and define what I mean by uh, the gospel. Many of our believers here, you know, that's kind of, uh, those, those, are, uh, those are call words for us, anchor words for us. We believe in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet, I have a, I have a sense that if I could sit, most, sit across the desk from most of the believers in the room and I said to you, tell me what the gospel is, uh, I'm not sure that we would all get it nailed down. Certainly we would say, well, it's the forgiveness of our sins 
or it is uh, Christ going to the cross, or it is the death, burial, and the resurrection. And certainly all of those are beautiful and necessary and even foundational facets of the gospel. I think uh, I want to just use a, a simple definition like this to encompass the entire teaching from the book of Genesis all the way to the book of uh, the Revelation. And we simply want to say something like this. The gospel of God is the good news of the availability of life with God right now through Jesus Christ. The gospel is the good news of the availability of life with God right now through a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. From the very beginning of Genesis all the way to the end of the book of Revelation, God has desired to be with His people. He was walking with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. He was with His people and they sinned. And what is the consequence of sin in their life and in our life? That they were put outside of the Garden of Eden. They were put outside of a relationship, outside of being with their God. And the entire rest of the Bible is the story about how God himself provides a Messiah and a sacrifice for our sins that through relationship with his son, we might be restored into that Garden of Eden setting where we can be in relationship with our God through the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus said, this is eternal life, that they may know the only true God and me. And so eternal life God's kind of life, the gospel kind of life is not something that happens to you when you die and in the glory realm out yonder. No, eternal life is living with God right now through a relationship with Jesus Christ whereby our sins have been washed away and Christ has given us new life, where we have passed from death unto life, where our sins are washed away. We've been given new life in Jesus Christ. And so today as we talk about the gospel and what that means, I want you to think in terms of the gospel is the availability for everyone in this room to have life with the God of heaven and the God of the Bible right now as you walk out of here today to be in communion with him by way of a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, trusting in Him and His finished work upon the cross and through the resurrection. Well, let's look at Christian leaders today and let's break it into these two segments. So first of all, we want to say that Christian leaders in our church and by proxy in our own lives and in our own individual life, that we should be the kind of people that speak the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Look at verses one through verse number six with me today. Day. Let's go back. First of all, he says here, for you yourselves know brethren. You see, he's talking to Christian people here, and it's interesting that he's going to launch into the gospel here and about speaking the gospel, not too directly to the lost people, but he's speaking to the church. Do you know that in the Romans chapter number one, Paul, the apostle Paul says, I long to come to you that I may give you the gospel, which is the power of God unto salvation. Who is the apostle Paul speaking to in Romans chapter one? Not lost people, but the church. It is the church that needs the dynamite and the power of the gospel. We must be gripped with the forgiveness and the goodness of Jesus, the new life of God that has been given to us so that in turn we can go out into the lost world and share with them the good news of Jesus Christ. If the gospel is not good news to you, it won't be good news to lost people at your workplace. 
And so the apostle says here, for you yourselves know, brethren, notice here, that our coming to you was not in vain. And you might, uh, the word here is perusia for coming. And if you were looking at chapter number one, verse number 10, you would find that the end of chapter number one speaks about the coming of Jesus. And now the apostle Paul says, listen, one day Jesus is coming back. But when I came to you, it was amid much persecution and heartache and suffering, but it was not in vain. The word here for vain means it has proved fruitful. It's not that it is fruitless, but it is fruitful, that the coming of the gospel through the Apostle Paul produces fruit in the lives of people. And I would say that all to all of us here today, that where the gospel goes forth and it is received by people, it always produces fruit. Sometimes it's 30 fold, sometimes 60, sometimes 100, sometimes small, sometimes great. But where the gospel seed is planted, you can rest assured, church, that God will produce believers where the gospel is given. Amen? He says that our coming was not in vain, but after we had already suffered and been mistreated in Philippi, it simply means here, though, although we were still suffering, you see, the giving of the gospel always takes root and is empowered by the suffering. Listen, this, uh, this so-called prosperity gospel that has so gripped our country and now sadly many of the countries in the world that somehow that to be a Christian, God wants you to walk on cloud nine and never have a problem and never suffer and go through heartache and pain. I want you to understand that that is a heretical doctrine that's been birthed out of the pit of hell. The, the gospel in the New Testament always flourishes in the soil of persecution and suffering. And it is in that suffering and persecution in your life that you will find that God will test you and prove you and bring you closer to Himself. You see, it's not a matter of us running away from suffering. It's a matter of us walking with Christ in the middle of our suffering. And the longer that we walk through the middle of our suffering with Christ, the more we are conformed to the image of Jesus and we can count it a privilege not only to be saved, but to suffer with him. This is what the apostle Paul says in Philippians chapter number one and verse number 26, that it is a privilege not only to believe on Jesus, but to suffer with Jesus. Now, brothers and sisters, I'm not saying that you need to run out here in your life and say, Jesus, make my life horrible. All right. I don't want to commend that to you. But what I want to say is when you're walking faithfully with Jesus and suffering and persecution and heartache come into your life, do not always ask how to get away from it. Ask to be conformed to Christ. Ask to be shaped and to be molded into the image of Jesus and embrace those things that are going on in your life. And you will find that Christ will conform you to himself. And it's far more important that your life look inside and out like Jesus than you escape suffering and heartache. Look back down at the text. Notice here he says again uh, in the uh, middle part of verse 2, as you know, and you, you might want to take note of that. Uh, it's, uh, it, it indicates, when it says as you know, it indicates a community of experience. The Apostle Paul is saying, hey, listen, this is happening to us as a church, as believers, as a community. You'll find it in chapter 1 and verse number 5 and 8, chapter 2, verse number 1, 5, 10, and 11, chapter 3, verse 3 and 4 and 12, chapter 4, verse 1, 2, and 6. 
and 11, chapter number 5, verse number 1 and verse number 11, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 16, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 1 and 2, and on and on and on. You'll find this repetition of, as you know, or you yourselves know. And the Apostle Paul is just simply drawing all of us in here today, and he's saying, listen, Emmanuel Baptist Church, church at Thessalonica, believers that are in community together, we are going through all of this, not in our own individual way, but we're going through it as a church together. So lean on each other and love each other and hold on to each other and lock spiritual arms together. And even if you don't like greeting each other with a holy kiss and hugs and getting all the germs, spiritually hold on to each other. Amen? I didn't get a lot of amens there. Maybe there's a lot of flu going around. I'm just telling you. You're not an individual believer isolated on an island by yourself. The brothers and sisters in this room are called to be your family. And you ought to treat them as family. And you ought to lean on them as family. And you ought to walk through your life with them. And you ought to walk through their life with them. We are the family of God. Can I get one amen out there? Amen. Look what he says here. Now notice he says here, as you know, we had the boldness. Now the word boldness here is in the New Testament, it is always given in connection with the speaking of the gospel. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse number 20. Uh, I, I don't want to necessarily use it that categorical. Nearly every time in the New Testament the word boldness is used, it is used in tandem with the speaking, the using of our mouth to give the gospel and so I want you to understand today that as Christian leaders, and you are a Christian leader, whether it's at your work or with your family or with your children or the service in your church or just with your neighbors, that, that we are to have boldness, but everybody wants boldness. But if you were to ask before I just gave that to you and told you that the New Testament concept of boldness is almost always tied to the giving of the gospel, you might have said today, I want boldness to live a better life. I want boldness to, to, to do things that I wouldn't do. I want to I want boldness to, to, to go bungee jumping on my 40th birthday. I, I want boldness to do this. What I want you to understand is the kind of boldness that Jesus wants you to have is not all of those other things. He gives his boldness to you in tandem with you deciding in your heart that you are going to take whatever the world gives. You're going to be okay with being ostracized. You're all right if people speak ill of you, but you are going to stand for Jesus in your life context and share the good news about what Christ has done for you on the cross and through the resurrection, how he has changed you. You are going to be a gospel witness. And as you determine to do that, the spirit of God will give you the boldness and the power and the grace and the mercy to be able to do that to his glory and to the good of lost people. Amen. So there may be other ways for you to have boldness. There may be other times for you to have boldness. And certainly we may be able to do a study of that in the, in the Bible. And maybe there are some things and some anxieties and fears that you're facing in your life. And maybe you're going through some suffering or some sickness or some heartache right now. And I pray that God gives you boldness. But in this sermon that is based in this text, I would not be being faithful to the Bible if I didn't tell you that the boldness that God promises in this passage only only comes when you are ready to share the gospel with unbelievers. Notice here, we had the boldness in ourselves 
In our speaking ability. Is that what your scriptures say? If they do, put them down. (laughs) In our skill set, in our intellect, in our apologetics understanding. Listen, I think you ought to be as smart as you can. I think you ought to learn apologetics. I think you ought to read everything you can. Watch all the videos. Get smart. Be the very smartest Christian you can possibly be. But our boldness does not come from ourselves or our ability. Where does it say our boldness comes from? We have the boldness in our God. Amen? When I tell you to leave here today and to go back into your workaday world and be the kind of witness that God wants you to be, I don't send you out of here to be bold in your own power. I send you out of here to say, you lean on Jesus all the way and he'll give you the boldness that you need. We have the boldness in our God and then notice, to speak to you the gospel of God amid much opposition. You see how the beginning of verse number two and the end of verse number two has kind of this bookend around it of suffering? But after we had already suffered and been mistreated in Philippi, and then the very end of the verse, it's as if the writer comes back here, the Apostle Paul, and he says, hey, listen, God's going to give you boldness. You're going to preach the gospel. And by the way, I want you to understand, life ain't easy. (laughs) If Jesus suffered persecution, you can rest assured you're going to suffer a little bit of persecution. But be of good cheer, for He has overcome the world. Amen, church? God has called Christian leaders to speak the gospel in boldness. Now, look with me quickly here at verse number 3 and following. And I I was thinking about this this week. Before I take these uh, verses apart for you, just notice the teaching from the negative standpoint in the next few verses. I, I I was thinking about that and why that is. And I think, I think the, 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 the warning here is that uh, I have to take this as the pastor, but I want you to take it as a Christian leader as well too. I think part of the reason why the Apostle Paul spends so much time here from the negative aspect is that it is very, Christian leaders are very susceptible to flesh and pride and wickedness and to do things the wrong way. And I think the Apostle Paul is dealing with a lot of these bad Christian leaders and he's coming from a negative standpoint. He's saying, hey, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that. And maybe we could all learn a lesson today from the pastor right on down to all of our congregation that we have been entrusted with the gospel of Jesus and let's be careful and let's be holy and let's be righteous with the way that we present Christ and the way that we speak about Christ and the way that we talk to unbelievers and believers alike. Amen? Isn't that right? Look at what he says here. Notice notice some of these teachings from the negative side. He says, for our exhortation. It is the word for counsel or edification. It is the speaking of the gospel of the Lord. Notice that he says here, he says, first of all, it does not come from error. See, the Apostle Paul wants you to know that the message that we speak to people about Jesus Christ, it is not a false religion. It is not a false God, but it comes from the spirit of truth. It is not error. It does not lead people in the wrong direction. And then look what he says here, or impurity. And this is not, the impurity speaking about here is not talking about uh, sexual impurity as much as it is talking about an exhortation uh, that uh, not from greed or for lust of power. The Apostle Paul says that when we speak the gospel to people, when we share truth with people, when we share our Christian faith with people, that we must remember that it is not in error, but it is the truth of the Word of God. But he also says here, when you share and when you teach and when you preach and when you lead people, that you do so not from impurity, that is out of greed or out of lust of power. 
There are so many in our society that call themselves Christians and what lies behind the, the, the very lovely speech that they give is greed or a lust for power or to manipulate people. And brothers and sisters, I want to say as you're looking toward the Christian leadership of your church and as you're trying to be the leaders that God has called you to be in your context, we do not do what we do as believers for greed nor to lord power over other people. Amen? Notice this. So it's not coming from error and it's not coming out of greed or a lust for power and purity. And then notice a third one, or by way of deceit. The word here is where they got the word to, uh, to catch with bait. And so when we give the gospel, when we share the truth of the word of God with people, we're not trying to bait and switch them. We're not trying to hold something or just give enough of the truth so that they seem interested in coming to our church. No, when we, when we share with people, you need to be honest with them and don't, don't shy away from the difficult parts of saying, yeah, the Bible teaches that you're a sinner, that you've come short of the glory of God. It's not just that Christianity would be a good addendum to your life. It's that you're a really bad person. And if you don't get saved, you'll spend eternity away from the Lord. So be careful about baiting and switching people. You know, God has not called us to, uh, to, to, to win a bazillion people and to fill the church. God has called us to be faithful to the message and to allow the Spirit of God to convict people's hearts. And what we really want is that when somebody does trust Jesus, that they openly and honestly know what they're walking into. Yeah? So when you share truth with people, it's okay. Just tell them the truth. Don't give them half-truths. Don't bait them into something that they get into and wish they hadn't. Share the whole truth with them. And then look at what it says here in the text. But just as we have been approved by God, the word here means to, to be approved, means to be put to the test and have passed. See, the Apostle Paul and his buddies, Silvanus and Timothy, they were, uh, they were being faithful to the message and God put them to the test. He put them in situations where they, they could have spoken from error or they could have had lording over it with power or they could have spoken with deceit, but they didn't. They spoke the truth of the gospel rightly before the Lord and before unbelievers. They were put to the test and passed. And then look at here, to be entrusted with the gospel. To be entrusted the gospel. Christian leaders are to speak the gospel of Jesus Christ boldly. And Christian leaders are to remember that we have been entrusted with this gift from God. We don't preach ourselves, but we preach Christ crucified. And that's as much from the pulpit as it is in the pew right where you are. Tomorrow when you wake up, you have been entrusted with the greatest jewel and the greatest crown that has ever been given. And I'm just gonna ask you right now, what will you do with it tomorrow? How will you treat it tomorrow? Will you show anybody tomorrow what you have been entrusted with? Or will you hide it away and put it in the ground? God has called us to take the message of the gospel and to share it with as many people as we can and to make sure that when we do, that we do it out of truth, that we don't do it out of greed, that we don't manipulate people, but that we're faithful to the truth of Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's do that tomorrow. Look down at the text. Let me show you a couple more things and we'll move to the second point. 
I like what it says, so to, to entrust with the gospel. And then look at, look at this simple phrase, so we speak, not as pleasing men. Notice the contrast now. This is what we speak, not as pleasing men, but God, right? right? So we speak the gospel, not to please men, but to please God. And why is it that we want to please God and not other human beings in the world? Because God is the one that examines our hearts. You see, my friends, one day all of us will stand before the great white throne of God and we'll give an account for what we have done with Jesus Christ. And what we want to stand there and hopefully humbly be able not to look Him in the eye, but to bow before Him and to simply say, Lord, we did the very best we could not to please everybody, but to please You. And in so much that we please God by the way that we live and the things that we say and the way that we represent the gospel, He will be pleased with our lives and He will examine our own hearts. I was reading this a couple of weeks ago. Listen to this. I, I think this is helpful. It was for me and I hope that it will be for you. A.T. Robertson said this. He said, Few temptations assail the preacher more strongly than this one to please men. Even if God is not pleased, though with the dim hope that God will after all condone or overlook, nothing but experience will convince some preachers how fickle is popular favor and how often it is at the cost of failure to please God. I want to say to you, in your lifetime and in the ministries that you're involved in, you need to always and we should always look for Christian leaders who are full of grace and humility, but who are not in the business of pleasing people, but are in the business of pleasing God. And brothers and sisters, I want to say to you, sometimes that's going to look like your Christian leaders sharing truth with you that hurts, that rubs up against the character of your life, that says to you, you've done wrong, you're sinning, your attitude in this area is not right. And what God has called us to do as a church is to listen to the leadership, a Christian leadership that comes to us with the grace and the humility and the truth of the Word of God. And rather than fight against that and burr against that and gossip against that, God, God has called us to bow our own hearts before our leaders and majorly before the Lord Jesus Christ and say, Christ, you have used this teacher you have used this Christian leader to bring hard truth into my life. And if I'm wrong, and if there is sin there, please forgive me and please help me to make the changes. I know that's an unpopular message, but I'm telling you that that's what this text is teaching. Christian leaders are to speak the gospel of Christ Jesus into our lives. And we are to submit our lives to it and be transformed by the power of the gospel. Now, let me just make a couple of more remarks here. Uh, look at verse 5. He says, For we never came with flattering speech, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God's given witness of that. Nor did we seek the glory of men. Now, now notice this. This is interesting. Look what the Apostle Paul says here at the end of verse number 6. He says, Look, we didn't seek glory from men either from you or from others. And then notice the even though here. He gives a little something. He says, even though as the apostles of Christ, 
we might have asserted our authority. The word authority uh, at the end of verse number six and the word for glory at the beginning of verse number six is the same word. It means this heaviness, this, this weightiness. And this is what he says here. So this is what he's saying. Look, the apostle Paul is saying as a Christian leader, listen, we don't steal glory from God. We didn't come looking for you to glorify us. Although... As the Apostle Paul, I do could stand before you and rightly demand that you recognize my authority given to me from God. And the Apostle Paul says, I didn't even do that. Because Christian leaders are to share the gospel in humility and in righteousness and to give all glory to the King of Kings. Amen? And so, if the Apostle Paul doesn't steal glory from God, who himself could have pulled the card of his own authority and thrown it down, that means that all of our teachers and all of our staff and all of our pastor and everybody else in this place, we don't have any right to try and glorify ourselves or stand over and above everybody else. No, the authority that we have comes from God himself. Amen? Now, can I just tell you something? If you ever find yourself a part of a church where your leadership is trying their dead level best to be humble and to walk with Christ and to love you and they are sharing truth with you, then those ought to be the kind of people in your life. If nobody else, those ought to be the kind of people in your life that you're willing to submit to and say, as much as they follow Christ, I'll follow them. Let me, uh, let me pause here for a moment before I make this quick transition to verse number, six and, uh, verse number seven and eight. I think I just want to share with you today, um, it's kind of a personal message with me, and I can't help it. It's where the text is, right? It's Christian leadership. I feel like I want to communicate this with you. My job as your pastor is not to do ministry. My family responsibility as a believing member of this church is to do ministry. So I went to Millbank yesterday because I'm a member of this church and I wanted to pull in the same direction. Not because it's my job. I share the gospel and I visit people and it wouldn't matter whether I worked here or not. If I was a member of a church, it's my family responsibility to visit folks that are sick and hurting and to share the gospel and show up and worship God and go to Sunday school. That's not, that's not my job as a minister. That's my family responsibility. That's the same responsibility everybody in this room has. So uh, what, what, is your, what is your job? Well, the Bible's pretty clear. There's really only about, it's, a, it's hard work. If you ever want to do it, I'll, I'll work with you. It's tough work, but the Bible's really pretty clear about what the job of a pastor is. Just, just maybe three or four things. One of, them, one of those is to communicate, to, to preach and teach the gospel of Jesus Christ faithfully week in and week out. All right. Um, an, another one of those responsibilities is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. So my job primarily here is to equip you with knowledge and heart knowledge and with counseling and preaching and time. My, my job is to equip you 
so that you're ever growing into Christ-likeness so that you go out and do the work of the ministry. So that you find yourself equipped both intellectually and with a heart to visit our membership who needs it the most. So that when you go out every week, that you have a hunger and a desire and the knowledge to be able to talk to somebody about coming to church on Easter or to be able to share your faith. And my, my job is to equip you to be able to study the Bible so that you're able to answer the questions that your families and friends have and, and those sorts of things. So my job and our job together as a pastoral staff is to equip you and your family to do the work of the ministry that makes this church go. I don't know if anybody's ever told you that or not, but that's what the Bible teaches. So, my job isn't to build the church. My job is to equip and prepare you to be able to go out and build the church for the glory of God, His glory and our good and the everlasting good of those in the world who are unbelieving and needing Jesus. So, the way, I, the way I'm kind of determining in my heart, hey, how, you know, are you being successful? Are you, it's not so many uh, what's going on in the pews. It's what's going on in your heart. So I know that I'm doing my job correctly when I see more and more people who have an inside of their heart and say, you know what? I have a burning desire. Let me out of here. I work a job, but I'm going to give everything that I possibly can to serving Jesus and serving my church and serving my community. That's what my responsibility is. Let me show you verse number 7 and 8 quickly and we'll finish. Christian leaders share the gospel. Christian leaders live the gospel. Look at verse number 7. But we prove to be gentle among you. The word here means they, that he became gentle. Like, and and it's, a, it's a word, there's a lot of word plays going on here in the next verse or so about uh, children and, and babies and that sort of thing. It really is a baby term. Uh, it says, became, I became gentle like a baby among you. That's it. You ever, you ever held a baby in your arms? I, I, you know what I'm talking about? They're so gentle, you know? Here's what we say, became. It's, it's not that it happens overnight, but the, the Christian leaders become over time gentle with their congregations. They learn to love them. They learn to be patient. They learn to be long-suffering. I want to say to everybody in this room, in so much that you're a Christian leader in your life with your wife or with your husband or with your family, with your friends, with your coworkers, in the, in the area that God has called you to live, you ought to ever be learning to be more gentle and gentle and gentle Jesus said, uh, Jesus described his character in one place in the Bible, and he said, I am meek and lowly, gentle. It's the only time Jesus ever described his earthly character. How would you describe your earthly character? Jesus said, I I'm gentle. N notice what he says here. But we proved to be gentle among you. And then notice here, as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. You'll find next week when we move a few verses down, he changes the analogy here to a caring father. And I think it's beautiful in chapter 2. He speaks about a nursing mother and a caring father. God is interested in this familial relationship, both in our individual family lives and in the corporate life of our church, that God wants us to be like mothers and fathers who are nursing 
nursing and caring for those. He says, as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. And then look at verse number eight, having so fond an affection for you, that's another term that's derived from the nursery. It's like when you, a baby's born and it's, uh, you, you, tell, you see that baby and you have this fond affection. And, and you know, listen, when the baby comes out, it's not like the movies, right? You know, they've got to wipe them off. They're not all, sometimes they're gross when they come out, you know, as the pastor. Sometimes you go visit some babies and you're like, man, that is a baby. That is a baby. No, with nobody here. Beautiful babies all the way around. But listen, you have to grow. That baby's screaming for, 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 uh, for food. And, and you know, listen, you have to grow in that fondness and affection. Are you growing for the other brothers and sisters in this place in that kind of affection? Or is there a growth in your heart that's hard toward other people? And then uh, this part means a lot to me. He says, we were well pleased to impart. The word here is to share. You know why it's important to me? I, because Christian leaders are supposed to share their lives. You know, you know listen, we, we try our best. My wife and I, we, we knew what we were getting into a long time ago. We try our best to have certain parts of our life that are for us. But we knew when we got into this that it's not, it's not a life that's privatized. It's a life that's shared to share my life, to share our life together. We were well pleased. It means that in the depths of our heart, we long not only to give you the gospel, but also our lives. And the word there, as I mentioned earlier, is soul. Oh my goodness, I didn't even see the time. The word there is uh, for soul, but also our own lives, our own souls, because you had become very dear to us. Brothers and sisters, Christian leaders share the gospel and they share their lives. Now, I don't think the Apostle Paul is demanding of you to be a pastor of a church or a leader on that particular level. But what I would say is where this applies in your life, you ought to not only be sharing the gospel, but you ought to be sharing your life yourself with other people so that they are learning from you what real life in Christ looks like. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me for a moment? Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Maybe you're in this room today and you've been here for a long time or you're just visiting and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. I want to say to you today that Jesus came into the world for you. He died, went to the cross, took your sin, and He rose again so that today, if you would trust Him with all of your heart and follow Him, He'd give you a kind of eternal life right now. And I say to all of our believers in the room today, won't you find a little space in your life somewhere to ask yourself, am I speaking the gospel? Am I living the gospel? Am I telling people about Jesus? And am I sharing my life with others? You've been listening to Stephen Tillis, pastor of Emmanuel Baptist Church in Raleigh. For more information and free access to other messages, please visit us at ebcraleigh.com.